0: in my finding the these days brewing that the focus remains the point of my team Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host Matt Chiham and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running for the rest of their lives. And I'm so excited for today's episode. As you know if you've listened to this podcast before you're aware that almost all of the podcasts we do ...are kind of evergreen, right? Do feature stories on people who are doing amazing things, and while usually I've talked to them after they've done something that is particularly amazing, really, you could listen to them at any point and get the gist of what's happening and and kind of get exactly um, what you'd want to get out of that episode. Today... Is like that, but also a little bit different because we are talking to our good friend, Peter Bromka. He's back on the show because he had the great fortune of being part of the wonderful event that was held this week up in Oregon. Des Linden broke the 50K World Championships, uh, World Championship record, I should say. Uh, Nick uh, Thompson set the American record for the 50K in the 45 to 49 division. And there's a whole host of runners over there as well. So Peter was there predominantly to be a pacer for Shirin Najim. Um, I'm sure I am pronouncing that name incorrectly. So please, um, give me some grace on that one. Uh, but she is a runner, uh, originally from Lebanon who was, uh, out there to try to kind of improve her chances of making the Olympics and get the Olympic standard. And it's kind of a convoluted system, uh, in order to reach that, um, that's reached that standard, uh, for her. It's not as simple as, Hey, top three in the U S Olympic trials and you get to go. Uh, and Peter talks about it in this episode, but even more so just about the day, right? He was able to step into history and be able to see it uh, right up close. And the whole story for the day and for him is a wild ride. And I was so excited to get him on the show to talk all about it. And in the second part of the episode, which is now a Friday tradition that I am so excited about, running between the lines, we have Amelia Benton, who had a really interesting piece in Runner's World this week. And it was about... uh, basically live donor, live organ donor donations, which is not something you would expect to see in a running magazine. But in this little breakdown of the article and uh, of that piece, we talk about it. Wait, why was this in Runner's World? And and it's really interesting stuff. And uh, as I say at the kind of the tail end of that conversation, when I log on to runnersworld.com or Trail Runner Mag or Podium Runner or Women's Running or a whole host of other websites, I am usually fascinated by what I read, but usually I'm not surprised when a certain article pops up. That's how I felt about this one, because I was like, oh, this is interesting. I would have never thought that this would be on a running website, and then uh, I was so glad that it was, and I was really excited to talk to Amelia about it. So, first, let's get into it with Peter Bromka, and then Amelia Benton. Peter Bromka, welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: We're making it a regular thing. This is wonderful.
0: I can't wait to talk to you uh, people you know all over the world saw Deslinden break the 50k world record and this week and it was an exciting thing and some eagle eye viewers of social media may also have seen that you were in the star pack group that was so wildly you know photographed and videoed and it was exciting to see um, you in there I had a little, Pre-race knowledge coming from you, <laughs> so we'll get into that in one second. Yeah. So this was a monumental event. It's one that people were excited for, but there was you know a little shade of mystery. What's going on? We've had a number of not a number. We've had several different attempts like this up in your area, and um, so we'll get into that as well. But first things first. I just wanted just because I'm a selfish guy, I want to start with where I play into the place uh, play, play a little. Little hint of a, of a rule uh, early on in this process. You shot me a text. I think it was 18 hours before the race started. Yeah. And I was so excited when you sent me the text. To, to walk, so tell us what happened in terms of the timeline with which you got involved in all the things surrounding this event.
1: Yeah, this was great. Um, so, yeah, months ago, you know, starting almost a year ago. Ian Dobson, who runs the Eugene Marathon, he's an Olympian, and he knows what athletes need. And so he realized there wasn't going to be real races, and he worked with one of the best uh, course measurement professionals in the sport. I'm forgetting his name. He measured the trials. He knows exactly how to lay out a course. And Ian knows sort of the. he's lived in Eugene for years, and he knows where you would run fast in the region, Um, And they identified a rail trail, you know, a former uh, train track that had been paved over, apparently it's 17 miles of flat pavement. Um, And they sketched out a six and a half mile loop. So it was used for Sarah Hall last fall. Um, And funny enough, I got a call like, hey, Sarah's going to come up to Eugene. We set up this course. Could you help her run a fast half marathon in September? And I said, I would love to. And I am physically incapable of helping someone at that level perform you know i could participate if you need like a body on the course to make an official race but um let's just say like last september if you had gone out at 520s um, which was you know her half marathon pace is slightly faster than my marathon pace at my best and she and i actually ran together um next to one another in Houston. Um, and oh, yes, pretty- so
0: many iconic fo- photos of yeah. you, Sarah, and Tommy Ribs. We Tommy. see the picture so, yeah. b- behind you right now.
1: Exactly. So some great moments. Um, so that course, uh, she used it for a half marathon. Then Galen uh, Rupp and some other men used it for a half marathon. And so it was known that that was both a fast place to run, that the professionals who time and you know measure that course – knew exactly what they were doing, and could do it in a COVID-safe protocol. And so as Des started to promote that she um, was going to go for the 50K, I didn't even really know that Oregon was the spot, but I suspected it might be. Um, And so the way these things come about was, you know, Des actually got a little... Uh, Pushback for like calling her shot and saying she was going to go for the world record. Um, some, you know, sort of old school types were like, oh, you should just do it and then tell us afterwards. But people like me and Carl you Elser. probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just uh, just <laughs> curmudgeons that were not excited about going, calling it. Um, whereas those of us who are so eager to see something exciting happen in the sport and miss all of it right now, um, we're super hyped on it. I had a sense that. It was going to happen in Oregon, but I wasn't actually positive. What I knew was that there was going to be um, a marathon. And Ryan Hall, uh, for American record holder in the marathon and half marathon, um, or fastest marathoner, I should say. He ran on a downhill course at Boston. Um, he coaches some athletes that were one athlete in particular was going to come to Oregon and look to hit a time that could qualify her for the Olympics um and so some of my friends on the Bowerman Track Club elite the non-professional group were going to help pace um and i had just like in the fall when i was unprepared to help sarah hall uh, i had said you know if you need more help um let me know but they seemed pretty well covered and so then i said all right um you know wish you guys well so i knew that they were preparing this is Patrick Reeves and Jared Carson, my two teammates. And then I, let's just say, I tried to keep my calendar clear on Tuesday, even starting last week. Because I thought like, I mean, if there's any way that I could even drive down and I would be allowed to witness what's going to go down, um, I would do it on a moment's notice. So like, you know, if we could schedule some meetings around it.
0: Um, Right, so you wanted to be there no matter what.
1: If possible, but they certainly were not encouraging fans. Um, I'm half vaccinated at this point. Many other people are, but everyone there was required to get a COVID test, uh, before arriving. Everyone wore masks in a really, um, proper and respectful manner. Cause you know, it's, it's different times. I, it's the first time I've shown up to a place and run in tight proximity to people who I don't spend time with. Um, I've found a way to run with, some of my teammates and we have like reached agreements on safety protocols to be able to train together. But it was definitely, I like all my shock senses went up when I'm like, wow, I don't know these people. And we're about to take our masks off and literally follow each other very closely. Um, for hours. But, yeah. For hours. <laughs> so it's sorry. It's a long way to say that I had a sense that it was going to go down and then it was announced a few days out. Um, I follow Billy Yang's storytelling of you know, her monster workout, a couple of Deslindon monster workout a couple weeks ago. Um, And even looking at um, that workout, I looked at the calendar and thought, okay, I bet it's this day because that's when I would do my monster workout, you know, three to four weeks out from uh, the big race, the race day performance. So um, I knew about it, but then I was on a call on Monday morning, and got a text from my buddies that said, Hey, Brom, could I want to run a marathon tomorrow? <laughs> and so I, I said, Oh, so because you know, I'm tr- I've, I've stated online, I'm trying to uh, run the 5K on the track this spring. So I had gone out on Friday and run 200s and spikes, and I was like, All right, let's do this. Like, got to get the mindset, like, got to break apart the marathon mindset and get focused on speed, and you know footfall and let's, let's get after it. And then on Sunday, luckily. Are you
0: saying, are you saying a, a repeat 200s or is not the <laughs> ideal taper workout five days out from the marathon? Maybe some
1: strides, but like, <laughs> oh man, getting going again, like throwing on actual spikes. My body's like, what are you doing? Um, but it's a good shock and it's exciting. And it's like added some element of surprise to this spring, which is just feels like the spring has lasted a year and a half. Um, so thankfully because my buddies who always run long every weekend regardless of the weather or the season they were down in Eugene preparing for this race so i didn't run long on sunday i ran 14 miles which is more medium long for me luckily because i mean i wasn't going to go long this week you know um so so i did a workout with one of the, my teammates and then on monday i think you can even see on my strava i posted like i ran i did a morning run and uh wrote titled it like feeling a little creaky because like i had not taken a day off in a week or two and was like you know i could use some recovery time here um but then two hours later i received a text like want to run a marathon tomorrow and you know i posted this on instagram but without hesitation i said yes um then i said hold on i have to to check with my wife and my family and make sure we (laughs) everything's covered um i got the sure back from my wife which was like better than the okay but like worse than oh omg i've been following des's trajectory and i want to i want you to be there so julia was very supportive um but then i yeah i got a test and i started driving down and Mm -hmm. i was so excited i just said like tell me where you need me um i will do any pacing you need um truthfully so the plan was des is going to go out at she said 550 pace. We all knew that three hours was more like 547 pace. So it was hard for any of us to believe she wasn't gonna kind of go on the 545 to 550 pace range. Um, And then Adi Nelson is a badass runner from Boulder. Um, She's accomplished so much and been running at a high level for years. She was gonna head out at the Olympic auto qualifying standard of 229.30. So that's where I had to take a deep breath and say like, all right, 229.30, 541s, I can give you some at that pace. I don't know how many I can give you at that pace, like on no notice. Um, And which is just that it was an awesome experience of revisiting all these different paces and going like, these are technically slower than my PR marathon pace, but like none of them are a gimme. You know, um. right,
0: right, right. <laughs> I mean, shoot, even going back a few years, like these were your marathon paces, right? We, we've you've been on this podcast before. You have documented this at length, your journey to your marathon, your current marathon PR, which has included these paces in the marathon at various times. Um, I love that text you sent me. Like, I just got a text saying, do I want to help <laughs> during this? <laughs> what should I do or what should I say? I was yeah. responding back being like, well, If nothing else, you have a great newsletter to put out the following week, right? (laughs) You can just do like couch to 50K in 18 hours. (laughs) Like that is, Uh, that's clickbait if I've ever seen it.
1: Couch to 50K. Yeah. So the plan was, um, so I got assigned, um, to help a woman, Sheeran from, she's from Lebanon, lives in, uh, Chicago and has an amazing history as an athlete. She's a three-time winter Olympian in downhill skiing. And then she decided to transition to marathoning and ran in rio in the marathon and now because of the changing qualification system needs to run even faster uh to make it to tokyo and so she was going to head out for a multi-minute pr at um just slightly under six minute pace 555 pace and i said okay i have uh jared carson is my teammate and he and i felt confident that we could give her many miles uh, of level pacing Whereas, uh, you know, I was, if Des had said like, hey, can you give me one mile? I I would have said, absolutely. Um, But (laughs) truthfully, she knew what she was doing. She had it dialed in. Her pacer um, is a, I'm blanking on his name. Is it
0: Charlie Lawrence?
1: Yeah, Charlie Lawrence. He's quite a good he ran at the marathon project. Um, he really, you know, he's taking shots at low teens at this point. And, um,
0: right. I think he's, he's a 216 one Oh four guy.
1: Exactly. He's like pretty quick and very smooth. I got to see him all day. So the, the logistics of it is a six and a half mile, uh, out and back. So a half out and back, half marathon out and back full marathon. And then the, the four people went out, and back two and a half miles, um, to finish at 31 miles and change. Um, so when you say
0: out and back, is it like a 180 degree spin or is it kind of like a lollipop loop?
1: So on one end, um, at the start finish, when you came back, they had set up specific cones to create a very carefully measured lollipop, but still only maybe like 10 feet in diameter with a huge pyramid of Michelob, uh, ultra, uh, Stacked in the middle of it for for sponsor <laughs> hype purposes, um, but down we couldn't, at get, end...
0: we couldn't get the rambling runner podcast set up there. <laughs> this is I could have just I should have just sat there. I could have sponsored
1: yeah. this thing. Uh, does knows what she's doing? She's she's awesome. Um, <laughs> and then actually, at the other end, uh, six and a half miles out, there's just a cone, and you step around it. Um, and you know the bike path is maybe six feet wide. Luckily marathon pace is a little easier to manage and this is slightly slower than mine um sometimes i've been part of half marathons where they use a cone out on a path to make sure that the ultimate race distance adds up to 13.1 and turning 180 at half marathon pace is like late in the race is very demoralizing you're like standing there so doing the turns um so des did you know five turns um a very tight circumference because she went out and back and out and back and then one more and was quite she's just so smooth so like I have seen des run on video for so many years right um it's been a decade of her running at the elite top level so I know it so well but then to and I guess the last time I saw her was when she was coming through at the trials you know In fourth place and like could see her trademark stride coming from a ways but to see it both pull away from you i I say it because like i think of her stride as this like you know the premier um performing stride in the war in america in the world so to see it like pulling away from you and then coming back towards you you're like oh that's des and you can see her from so far away um it was pretty awesome and it was just like total fan moment and Yet, because she's Des and she's awesome, every time she passed, her breathing was totally under control. And she said, you look so, looking so strong, you know, cheering on the other women that were around us. Um, so it was an awesome day out there.
0: Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having Things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options. And it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are First of all, the price, it's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking athletic greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to, like, take a pause during the sentence. Uh, But it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that – Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens, to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right, you bring up this point. So she's talking to you guys, and that's interesting, right? Because you're all on the course, you're all there together, but you're all running kind of different different plans. There's a different strategy there, uh, which is kind of an interesting situation. As a pacer for such a long distance, what's the communication like between you and the woman that you are pacing? Um, and just generally speaking, like, were you given advice on how to do this? I'm assuming, when I say you, I mean... All of the Pacers in in this situation, right? Because it wasn't just Des. There was a handful of people who were out there trying to make certain times. Nicholas Thompson uh, broke the American forty five plus record for fifty k. So, what what was the acknowledged best kind of the best practices for a pacer, and how did it work out for you in regards to communication, kind of in both directions?
1: Yeah, no, it was it's a lot. Um, Jared is a good friend, and he had been he had known well ahead of time that he was going to be running 555 pace um and so then it was it was like getting up to speed on something you know probably how it works but checking in with Ryan Hall Sharon's coach um and saying okay so how do you want this to play out and he actually was biking behind us with a boombox blasting a playlist that she had created um <laughs> which was awesome um you know, she's like, I hope you like, you know, T-Swift. And I hope you like, I mean, just so many songs. Um, oh, my so God. That is great. It was awesome. Because, I mean, the the thing is, you're out in the Oregon countryside and it's picturesque next to a lake. It's beautiful. At one point, we went by this farm and there was a large horse running next to us, um, like keeping pace with us inside of its own, you know, pen. Um which is beautiful, but it's not necessarily conducive to like the mania that like the end of a marathon typically results in, in a Boston and New York or Chicago, where the fans are leaning over the fences, screaming you on. And you're just like, I got to drive, you know, absent the pacers and the coaches on bikes, it would have just been like, you you could just slow down. So we were instructed to head out at uh 555 pace, which, um, on a flat course that kind of slightly went downhill, then slightly went uphill, then, um, then you returned. It was a bit of a bowl. Um, I think there was like maybe 60 feet over the six miles. Um, but you got it back, you know, you end in the same spot. So we were instructed to stay in touch with her, um, try, we were very aware that if she went through any rough patches like a tough mile, that it was okay to slow down, not in any way, you know, maintain the pace and separate from her. We're supposed to work with her. Now that said, she, it's very tough to run at a level where you can't speak for 26.2 miles. Um, but she was working hard early and I alluded to this on a, in an Instagram post, I was concerned. Um, She, I could tell from her labored breathing that she was working hard fairly early on. And that's part of the marathon is like just that gut check free fall of like you're six miles in and you think this hurts already. Um, Now your body does like, I haven't run a marathon in a while. Like I was reminded, oh yeah, your body does amazing things and settles in. And if like mile seven sometimes feels better than mile three which like, why would that be? But um, there were water stops every, or there were fluid bottle pickups every three miles. Um, And so we would just try to communicate with her. Say like Jared would say, I'm going to move up ahead so that I'm not blocking your view of your bottle. I say, I'm going to drop back. Um, So we became sort of a straight formation while doing bottle pickup. We would, I would basically just try to remind her of the things that I, um, try to stay aware of personally at those moments in the marathon. So I'd say, okay, you just got a bottle, focus on hydration over pace for the next half mile. Um, if we lose five seconds and you gain nutrients, it's uh it it's the priority over the pace. Um and so you know, but with like a slight downhill at times, we hit like a four five forty-seven, five forty-nine, and you think, okay, but we don't want banking time is like you know just the most seductive thing to think like "Ooh, we'll just like bank some seconds but like you are directly you know pulling those seconds out of your legs for late in the race um and so then yeah we would there was also those um pylons every you know maybe every half mile or so which keep cars from driving on a rail trail so we would call those out and say like stick behind jared peter's gonna go around um And it went like that pretty smoothly until, um, the mile 17, we were going uphill. So imagine like the most uphill portion of the course comes at mile 17, which is not like technically the hardest part of a marathon, you know, mile 23, 24 is, but it's, I think mentally a a pretty awful spot where you've got 10 miles to go. And, you know, I was thinking if this was me, I would start to doubt myself greatly right now because you have a long ways to go. This is not easy. We are clearly going uphill and yeah, you'll get those seconds back if you keep it smooth, but it'd be easy a to blow a, you know, blow a gasket right now, like insist on a five fifty five and do it, but actually boil over. And that's what you see a lot of in marathoning is like, you technically hit the pace, but you're working too hard. And then you give back all those seconds.
0: And it's also right around the time, as you approach the two hour mark, that's usually where the, glyca- the 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 glycogen stores that you had in your body pre-race are pretty much tapped out.
1: Oh, yeah. So your body's starting to shift over um, depending on how well you did fueling and you mentally are realizing, oh, wow, I have a long way to go and I'm no longer kind of skipping along in the fun zone. Um, I remember when I was running CIM with my first my teammates, it was their first marathon at 15. They were kind of like surging and I was like, you know, let's wait till 20, you know, let's wait wait till 20. So, um, so about mile 17, we're going up this gradual incline and Des, you know, comes flying back the opposite direction, cheering us on. Um, And so like the spirits were high and the music was playing and we're out in this beautiful course, but then you step around a cone and you have six and a half miles to home. So you have, you know, you pretty quickly hit 20 miles and Sharon has, you know, really written some big checks at this point. She is on pace for a three minute PR and three plus minute PR at this point. and you think, like, is she going to be able to hold it? Um, so Des is going off the front. Um, Nick Thompson, who ran, yeah, like you mentioned, the American 45 to 49, 50k record he had been like a metronome and he had said i'll come out with your guys pace i want to run just under six minute pace you're going to run 555 pace now we got going a little bit faster with some of the slight downhills so he wisely let us go so then with maybe um maybe five miles to go he we were coming back downhill and he blew by us he was like just a metronome he was doing exactly what he needed to do and we wow so this
0: is with like 10 miles left for him
1: yeah, he's got about 10 miles to go, and he was just sticking to exactly the pace that he needed to do, um, which meant that he had let us go early and then caught back up to us. So in some regard, that was nice because it gave, you know, another person out on the horizon. Um,
0: oh, right, right, right. And, you
1: know, so, just something out there. Um, Audie Nelson went through a tough patch sort of in the middle of the race. She had been aiming for that auto qualifier of 22930 um, and started to slow down and was coming back to us. So we said, like, you know, this is a race. Let's go try to catch her. Now she is um, you know, she is a pro runner for a reason and she got real tough. And then it became clear like she was not coming back anymore. Um uh, like <laughs> it takes a lot of gumption to as Patrick likes to say, like stop the bleeding. Um there's all these like expressions, you know. Patrick stem will say, stem the tide, yeah, yeah. Stem the tide. Patrick <laughs> likes to say, like, that's when I jammed my thumb in the dam, <laughs> it was starting to leak. And I just like, <laughs> uh, you know, all these figures of speech to say, like, it could have started to slip worse, but I made do with what. So Adi wasn't coming back to us, um, after a while. And then, yeah, over the final, I'd say, final 5k, 8k, um, Sharon was just she was just getting tough. Um, and you thought, so it's her qualification for Tokyo is based on the world athletics points table. And it's a process that I don't fully understand. It's kind of new and complicated. It's, but it's all to say that if she can PR by multiple minutes, it puts her in a good position. And so we were, so she had run, I think like two thirty-eight, maybe. And if, um, if She knew if she'd gotten the 235, 236, it gives her more points, better score, um, better chance. Um, and so it was it was unlike anything I've ever been a part of where over the last four miles, Jared and I are starting to feel it in our um, legs, you know, regardless of, like, how much off your marathon PR you're running a full marathon. If you're not stopping and you're not running easy pace, like, it starts to catch up to you. Um So then, but we were trying to stay just in that zone of like, I really thought about it like a rabbit, you know, like in a greyhound race, you you know, where you're like, how do I stay just enough ahead of her that she, um, has something to shoot for. And then also at times there was gusts of wind. Um, and so we would try to pack up, you know, two skinny guys, just trying to be like, we could be a wall. (laughs) Um, but then I thought, I thought it was fascinating. We got in the last couple miles, and so her her coach, Ryan Hall, is behind her saying, you know, 2K to go. You've run so many miles. You've put in so many miles in, on Lake Mary Road in Flagstaff. Like, 2K to go. And I'm thinking, don't talk to me about 2K. That sounds, at the end of a marathon, like it might as well be a full marathon. Um, <laughs> so I'm inserting, like, Sharon, we're running to that sign right there. Now we're going to run to, like run to the sunshine like because we're going in and out of the woods like we are running a hundred meters at a time because that's the way i do it um is i literally just like stare at something and try to get there and i'm like if i have to pick 30 spots over the final five miles then that's what i'm gonna do um
0: right and this woman is like sharon is like you know (laughs) to say that you could be be in the olympics for downhill skiing and the marathon is not only a testament to her obviously unbelievable physical gifts, but as well as her mental toughness and emotional toughness to just work on two very different sports over, like, decades of time. So, you mentioned before, at mile four, her she was not breathing as if she was about to, you know, as, as you would expect somebody to be breathing at mile four. So, what and I would love to get her on the show to ask her this directly, but you're here now and we're friends. I can't just your vision of this whole experience is, is so interesting. What was it like during the, that, that final push um, compared to, you know, maybe obviously it's going to be hard for anybody, but when you think back to how she, how, how she appeared to be early on in the race, could you tell later, like there was a distinct difference or do you look back and say, wow, like she was, this was tough for her early on. I mean, uh-
1: it was tough by design. I'll just say like when it, when you're up against when your task is just to get the lowest possible time you can um, what she proved was she was willing to go out at a pace that was going to get, be hard early. Um, and you know, I've been around different athletes. Like I I think last time we talked, I mentioned how, you know, the CIM pack of going out at OTQ pace you have all these men around you who only are going to end up lasting five or six or seven miles and they're panting, um, early and, you know, no harm, no foul. Like they're trying, but it takes a lot to find, it takes a lot of awareness, which I imagine as a four-time Olympian, you like have pretty good awareness, pretty great toughness. Um, it was just a sight to see, um, and to listen to. And so, yeah, I mean, you, I heard slightly more, labored breathing but only slightly and just real real toughness and you would look down we she really wasn't looking at her watch from what i uh recall again wasn't looking at her i was leading um but that idea of like it's going to get harder i might slow a little bit but it takes a lot of audacity to slow like four or five seconds a mile and not 25 seconds a mile because it's so easy so we are you know her coach Ryan Hall is behind her, screaming, like the ground is on fire, like fast feet, like cadence, you know, um, you've got to move. And so it was really exciting. And her toughness was just remarkable. I mean, th- if I think about it, what it takes to stand at the top of a mountain, you know, and say, like, I'm just going to go straight down. Like it it's beyond anything I have ever done. But, um,
0: So were you you caught up in the emotion of it? Obviously, it was not your race, but were you caught up in it in terms of of your performance?
1: Like Jared lost his voice because he was just screaming the last five miles while running (laughs) a six-minute pace. (laughs) Um, So afterwards, and we were just like, you got a race. Like, you know, this is... We're trying to recreate some of the excitement of a world marathon major, you know, when people get the most out of themselves. So you're just like trying to just yell you're trying to music is playing and then all the while you think okay des has been off the front for a bit if if all goes well we'll see her in a minute or two and then sure enough she so she ran like uh 230 what was it one 231? or two one yeah 231 yeah. marathon looped so then she came back um and we saw her a few minutes and then in the most des most calm way possible she just says you look strong." Kick it in, um, and we think, "Wow, she's on her way to something great." So, yeah, we we you know brought it home um, in this quiet bike path that we were on, and then we faded to the side, and Sharon uh, like kicked it in and just like really held strong, set herself up with a two plus minute PR, and that puts her in a good position uh, still to be determined to make it to Tokyo. Um, and then it was just a waiting game of. You know when will des get back and you know realistically we knew if everything had gone that gone to plan that far she's going to probably break the world record um of 307 306 but um the the question on everyone's mind was like can she get under three um so then we're all standing along the rail trail and you know you're looking at the clock being like it would really be cool to get under three and you know who's cool is des linden she just like slides right in you know with six seconds to spare um and just you know holds her hands up and everyone's going nuts um
0: so did she kick or was it just cruising in
1: i hadn't looked at Someone mentioned that her last split was actually um, about six, almost six minutes. Um, so I think she was starting to grind that last little bit. And I read a quote from her that she said, <laughs> this is hilarious. She's so tough. Um, that it started to feel like marathons used to feel before the super shoes, like where, you know, you start to feel stuck to the pavement. Um, <laughs> you're like your stride. And then it's a question of like, can you keep it going? So it sounds like she got a little a dabble into that feeling of like when you're really right at the edge and maybe your muscles are gonna about to cramp. Um but she was she looked so smooth to us as she came out of the shadows and into the finish, just like consummate professional, you know, she raises her arms, um, and then, you know, celebrates with her whole team. Um her awesome husband Ryan uh, was still out on the course because he is a triathlete and he you know has done a lot of running with her over the years but he was signed up to be one of the finishers of um the 50k and so they needed a certain number of finishers for the 50k that was the funny part I'm actually listed as a DNF because I signed up for the 50k sort of in a in case for some reason we came through the marathon and, and I felt amazing, and we were on a great pace. And I chose to continue. I wanted the option. Um I'll tell you, like when I but finished there's the,
0: no way you missed that finish, <laughs> right? There's no you would have never been. Oh yeah, yourself. no, I would have been like off in I'm the just woods. out here running, and <laughs> yeah. is out there <laughs> setting a world record.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I mean it's it's a, such a small event that I thought like maybe there's a chance two people come up with a craft calf cramp and uh if they need me to finish so we Patrick and I finished he finished two minutes ahead with Audie Nelson and then Jared and I finished and I was joking it was sort of like when there's leftover sandwiches and someone says like hey anyone want a sandwich it's like Josh Cox is going like hey you want a 50k you're like you're welcome to go get a 50k and we're like we're pretty good no I mean this was a total success our team executed our plan perfectly and she uh, has a two and a half minute PR. I'm good. Um, I don't need anything. I don't want to like, you know, ask for more right now. And so, yeah, I would have been off in the woods while Des came through. Um, but if, if for any reason they had needed it, I would have continued. Um, and then it was, it was awesome. We just like waited and then she came out of the woods and celebrated. And then, um, then a few minutes later, Nick Thompson, just like a metronome comes through and it was awesome because I think Des knew that she could get the world record. But like Nick finishes and he was just like, he kept repeating, like, I can't believe I got it. Like, I can't believe I did it. Like, he clearly has so much respect for Mike Wardian. He just wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it. And so to see someone when like in that moment. When people think of Nick
0: Thompson, if you know Nick Thompson, <laughs> running is not what you think of. Right. This is the guy who's the head of the of, of the Atlantic. Right. He was the guy who was before that was the head of Wired magazine. Like when I thought of Nick Thompson as a runner, I thought of the like the occasional piece that you'd see around the around the web of him, like running to work as a commuter. Right. He would would commute run to work, you know, like eight miles, eight miles back or whatever. And it was like, oh, that's a cool story. Like, hey, look, the guy who runs Wired is a runner. Like, that's great. I remember being like, oh, he'd be great for my podcast. Right. He's an amateur runner. No, (laughs) he's way. I mean, again, We've had pros on here, but I still loved him be on the show. Of course so. Uh, but look at this. It's amazing the um, the textured life that he has. Oh, yeah. That he now has this American record. This is like within four months of him taking over the Atlantic. It's not like he's not busy.
1: No, he's doing a lot of work. Um, but he loves it. And I, I find these stories so fascinating because those of us who know running, uh, like, for instance, I knew he was probably ready to do it because I'm following so closely that I'm following his Strava and I'm aware that he's going to be doing something like this. So then he does it and you it's so easy to say like yeah man like I I kind of figured you were ready based on some of the things I'd seen. But what was super fun to see is he posted I shot a little video cuz I was standing at the finish. He reposts it and says like thanks so much to everyone and just to see media Twitter like lose their mind and be like what in the world, you know, Chris Hayes, who I'm a fan of on MSNBC, be like, just like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, I went on a jog over to Prospect Park today. In fact, you just did, what would it be like, you know, six laps of it at the superhuman pace. So it was pretty awesome to see people who like, aren't so geeked out on it, understand what he did and really appreciate it. Um, that was a beautiful part of the day.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? Because these people don't even associate him with running. <laughs> so it's just for them, it's just like this random experience of like, hey, like, wow, look, Jack Dorsey just played shooting guard for the Lakers last night. Like, wait, what? He just
1: happened to also are be Are you sure it's not
0: a different Jack Dorsey? Like, it's the same one?
1: <laughs> like, wait a second. How can you be this good at these things? Um, right. But right. yeah, no, it, it, it definitely plays it, – it, You know, people are searching for things to be fired up about right now. And so this was a really small, you know, I heard, saw some tweets like, why don't you turn this into a race? Like, come on, give Des Linden someone to compete with and all these things. And well, first of all, it's easy to underestimate because Des is Des like, and she's so approachable. Like she finished, you know, within seconds of qualifying for the Olympics. Again, she's the alternate. So not many women can run with her anyone who can run with her is already going to Tokyo. Um, so there it's almost unfair to say like who else would have been out there and even played into her event. And then this is meaningfully like to do this in a COVID safe way. That's responsible. uh, takes a lot of planning. And then it also takes just, you know, everyone being on the same page. So Nick was looking for something with no marathons this spring. And because his coach, Steve Finley is uh, former teammates with Ian Dobson, uh, the head of the Eugene Marathon. Ian had told him, like, there might be this opportunity. And so I think that's how stuff like and that Steve's came about. And the
0: head of the Brooklyn Track Club, Brooklyn right? Track Club.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so t- super exciting. And, I mean, my our joke was like, oh, wait, racing with people, you know, super inspiring. We should do more of this. <laughs> Right. You know, well, you
0: and I talk all the time, not on not on, on podcasts, but you and I always go back and forth about just, you know, innovation in running to make it more fun. There's just running fast against somebody else or against a variety, against a group of other people is as primal as it gets. Right. It's like running fast and fighting are like the two things that like. When you're born, you're like these are the things that I can do, right? My six-year-old son
1: understands wrestling and racing around the block.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) It's not even a human thing, right? Like (laughs) David, Megan, Roach are so funny. Like they they post these videos of like the foxes next door to their house. Like that—that's what they look at when they're doing doing work in their house. And what are these foxes doing all the time? They're running back and forth or they're wrestling each other. Right? It's like this is just this is just us, man. It's what we do, and it's just fun to see new things, to see new stuff. Obviously. We don't want it to be because of, like, these extreme circumstances necessarily, but can't control that. So, hey, let's go make something new and have some fun in the process. And and seeing history in the making, obviously, is a great result. And and it must be wild for you to be like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, it might happen. Hey, I just called Tuesday. You never know. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there watching people drink champagne out of running shoes because the world (laughs) record was just set.
1: Yeah, it was I felt super fortunate to be a part um and I mean yeah when when a day goes as smoothly as it did where all three women ran well and Nick ran well and the pacers um didn't have to peel off all these things it's easy to say like oh that's of course how it was gonna go um but it's not usually not always like that in you know long distance running. And so it's just like really got to be thankful for when things work out that perfectly.
0: I love it, Peter. Thank you so much for giving us like the full download on the day. Uh, It was, it was uh, certainly something so much fun to witness from afar. So you didn't, you know, I was, one of the many, many people who were looking for the updates and all this is going on. And there was some people on the course, like Sarah Lorge Butler was on the course and some other people as well who would be able to give kind of in-the-moment updates as to what was happening. And you see a scattered video here and there. But the the whole social media, uh, all running social media was kind of a blaze of like, it was one of those, it it kind of felt like, Again, you don't have to be Catholic to understand this. It's like when you you see like the conclave of like the new pope. Like you don't know what's happening in there, but you're trying to read into like any little thing or any little piece of news as what what's potentially going down.
1: Oh, uh, so the white smoke going up is like her does doing a shooey. Like we know good things have occurred when <laughs> <Exactly>. a shui. Shoo- <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I love I love Dez's swagger. I mean, her stride almost looks like a swagger. You know, she rocks back and forth a little bit but so smoothly and just like she just really brings it and she is so dialed in um so that really brought i think it like it starts at the top with like setting up these things like very precisely and then to have des set the tone um of like big smile but also serious and heading out and cheering people on like just the attitude um again like it, it could be so many other things and it wasn't because she was in charge really her team her and josh were like setting the tone and um it was pretty wonderful
0: right and i think there was some to some degree there was a like a sense a sense of like of course this was going to happen it's des linden and i think that's a testament to her And it's also something that we should not lose sight of the fact that it takes even for the best, it takes an incredible amount of dedicated effort over a long period of time. It's easy to overlook that fact when the top of the field are there for such a long time. Right? It's so easy to take to to, um to gloss over the fact like wow, yes, Serena Williams is the finals of a major. Okay. Well, she always is. Well, like, yeah, that's the point. That's how, that's how amazing she is that we're not even like amazed by it. Right. So it's not like LeBron James is in the finals again, nine straight years. It's like, Oh, well, he's always in the finals. Yeah. Like, but well, he's not, he wasn't birthed that right. <laughs> he earned yeah. it. And I feel like Des doing this. I think there's to some degree, uh, folks were like, well, yeah, of course she'll be amazing. She's dead. It's like, it's not. Yes, she is. And she is amazing. But, it doesn't mean that it was like, you know, in the stars that it was, it took an incredible amount of effort and toughness over an extended period of time, uh, to make it a reality. And it really is uh, truly remarkable.
1: It's pretty wild. Yeah. And to think about, so Des is about my age, slightly younger. And so we were contemporaries in college and she was running D1. Um, if you... I love the new era we're in where her stuff is on Strava. So you say like, oh yeah, to prepare for a road 50 K world record, you might want to average over like 110 miles a week for a month or more. And you think that's so easy to say, very, very difficult to do. Um, And so to look, be able to see how she stacks on those miles and those workouts and things. um, It was just really impressive. Um, I personally, in February, March, dug myself into a little bit of a fatigue hole. I like overtrained slightly and started to just feel really run down. And so it was, it gave me firsthand appreciation for like, it's easy to sketch out stuff. And then, you know, once you go and do it, um, you really have to keep your effort in check and you have to like, you still have to be able to recover from all of those um, miles that you're stacking on. And Dez is a, a special competitor and a very, you know, special, uh, distance runner.
0: That's for sure. Peter, as are you, my man, 200 meter repeats, (laughs) getting into the marathon, (laughs) couch to marathon, 18 (laughs) hours. I appreciate it so much. You do a weekly newsletter. Let's plug it before we get going.
1: Oh yeah. The positive split. Um, I started writing, uh, uh, years ago, but then last summer I decided, um, I wanted to start holding my writing a little less preciously and start putting out some thoughts on a weekly basis. And so I've had a ton of fun with that. It's been 36 weeks in a row. Um, One went out this morning and yeah, uh, on peterbromka.com you can sign up there and it's just been a pleasure to connect with the running community. I, you know, I love nothing more than like putting stuff out and then hearing from people from all over the world. Um, So it's, it's been fun and I can plan to continue it.
0: You're doing a great job. Thank you, Peter. Amelia, thank you for coming on the show for our I – can't, I can't say it's a new segment anymore. It's now continuing the Running Between the Lines segment where every Friday we talk to a writer who has recently put out uh, a piece that is extremely interesting and one that I not only want to highlight but also one where we kind of take a deep dive into – what went into the reporting of the story, how it came about, and we certainly want to make sure that people are going to, you know, in this case, Runner's World to read the story. Amelia, you um, have done great work. For a long period of time, if people don't know, you actually and your twin sister in different episodes were both recently on uh, Ali Feller's show, uh, Allie on the Run, which was absolutely uh, fantastic. So uh, that was like, again, I knew of you long before then, but it was nice to hear kind of your backstory and then later your twin sister's backstory.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: All right. So. Again, people can go to Runners World to read this fantastic story. It came out on April 9th, and it is called, Here's Why You, As a Runner, Should Sign Up to Be a Living Organ Donor, with the subtitle being, Runners Are in Prime Condition to Increase the Lifespan of Someone Who Needs an Organ Transplant. Now, first things first, this doesn't, at first glance, right, organ donation is not exactly what you would necessarily expect to see in a, running magazine or a running website. So how did this topic and these individuals, um, you know, come across your desk?
2: I I agree. And actually this, uh, this storyline wasn't, uh, you know, brought to my attention or really put on my radar until one of the runners who I interviewed approached me about raising awareness about this this topic, about how runners and active people in general are ideal candidates to be living organ donors. Uh, one of the runners that I interviewed, Sabu Venkat, he's a living kidney donor, and he's actually a friend of mine. We're teammates on the Houston Harriers Running Club here in Houston. And I had known for a while that he was a living kidney donor, but I never knew about that detail about how active people are especially good candidates for it. And he actually approached me initially uh, wanting to see if I could put him in contact with the host of a new local podcast here in Houston called Runners of Hue. And I was easily able to do that because the host of that podcast is actually also a friend of mine, uh, Vicky Odie. And so I put them in contact and they actually ended up recording an episode within a week or so and putting it out that week, I think, which was awesome because, you know, in addition to this inspiring story of Cebu being a living kidney donor, he is also an amazing runner himself. You know, he's been running a really long time. He's in his 50s, and he's thrown down some really impressive running times in the last few years following his surgery. So it was uh, really cool to see that come to fruition and kind of get some inspiration from that myself to think about what I might want to ask him if I had the opportunity to interview him. And in the meantime, I pitched the story to Runner's World myself. I told Sabu that, you know, this was kind of a light bulb moment for me because if I had known that detail about runners being ideal candidates for this, I would have pitched the story to Runner's World years ago. And so I immediately took it to them and my editor there was really excited about it too. And I pitched it with, you know, this angle of how, you know, kind of getting medical experts to explain why exactly fit people are ideal candidates to be living organ donors and also to get these medical experts to debunk some concerns that runners might have about potentially being donors, such as how it could affect their running and their training, because it turns out that surgery to donate a kidney is actually way less invasive than most people would think.
0: Yeah, it sounds incredibly invasive.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it's really not, you know, it's a they use uh, like the experts said in my story, they use really small incisions and a camera to do the surgery. And both of the runners that I interviewed were back to running within a month after their surgery. And Cebu, I believe he set a half marathon PR like three months after his surgery, which is which is really awesome. Performance enhancing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so my editor also told me that she wanted me to interview at least one other runner who was a living organ donor. And that's where my other subject, Mary Rice Booth, came in. She was actually someone who I had already uh, been in touch with before I connected with her about a year ago when I worked on another story for runner's world, where I interviewed 10 runners of color about their experiences with racism as it relates to running and their perceptions of, uh, Of diversity and inclusion within the running community. And Mary was one of the runners that I interviewed for that story. So I'd been following her on Instagram since then. And I had noticed that last summer she had posted about how she had donated a kidney and she was kind of loosely documenting her recovery and her return to running since then. So I had that factoid kind of tucked in the back of my mind. So when my editor told me she wanted me to find one more person, Mary was the first person that came to mind. And her story was especially intriguing for me because, she, you know, she and her husband, uh, her husband was the recipient who needed a transplant. And they went ahead and did this last summer, like at the height of the pandemic. So one of the questions that I had for her was if they had any, if they were nervous about doing that at all, you know, at the height of the pandemic while all this uh, all this was happening. And she told me, no, they weren't, because they had already navigated so many hurdles within the healthcare system to get the transplant scheduled for over a year at that point. And at that point, the risk of her husband, uh, you know, if he contracted COVID while he was still experiencing kidney failure, the risk of him dying from COVID-related complications was much higher than the risk of him potentially contracting COVID during his transplant surgery. So that was really eye-opening for me to see Uh, that it really was life or death for them at that point. And another area that I wanted to highlight, uh, you know, I uh, came across this information while I was doing my, some of my preliminary research was that racial minorities are especially uh, impacted by, uh, you know, by conditions like kidney disease, because they're more, they're at higher risk for conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease. And so they're, they make up a large majority of the people who are on the waiting list for transplants. And um, so I love that, that the runners that I ended up interviewing uh, and their recipients ended up being people of color themselves. Uh, Because if you've followed my work over the last couple of years, you might've gathered that I've kind of made it my mission to highlight diverse voices and stories that might not otherwise be told. If not for people like me, uh, you know, I'm a woman runner and writer of color myself. And, uh, you know, I've kind of made my, my mission to highlight those stories, not just in the like human interest type subjects that I interview, but also in the experts and professional sources that that I use. And I loved what Mary had to say about how this, about how uh, she and her husband Uh, You know they're both black themselves, but they also weren't aware of these racial disparities to this degree either until they got to the transplant hospital and they saw that literally every other patient was black or brown. And she said, "This is, you know, this is a tangible way that you could contribute to social justice efforts uh, because healthcare, because inequities in healthcare are, you know, are something that directly impact these racial disparities." So that was something that I especially wanted to highlight and being a Latina myself and knowing now that Hispanics or Latinos also make up a large majority of the people affected by these, uh, these issues, you know, it, it inspired me to potentially look into it myself and see if I might qualify to be a candidate.
0: Yeah. When I think about organ donation, I think the two things that come to mind and I'd love to hear what your original thoughts were kind of before you, before you learned more and before you're doing your research are people basically cadaver, transplants, right? As so you go to, you, you get your driver's license for the first time, you click whether you're an organ donor or not. So they click, like for me, it was a check mark. Um, and you go from there. And then also like, like Mary, like the familial connection, right? Whether it's for her it was her husband, but whether it's, you know, someone like that or someone, you know, you know, by blood, whether it's your, your parent or your sister or brother or what have you. Those were kind of like the two areas that I think of um, for organ donation and i never really even thought about living donation from a voluntary perspective i say voluntary because you know if it's your close relative it's v- voluntary <laughs> this is not a video podcast i'm doing the air quotes here cuz it's you know it's like there's it's a sense of obligation there you might be more than willing to do it but there also is it's not voluntary maybe in the truest sense so what were some of your expectations about this topic uh before you started doing research
2: um you know Um, I suspected that that would be the case that most people who are signing up to do this are people who have some kind of connection like that, that they have someone who, you know, if they don't get a transplant, they're probably going to die a lot sooner than you would, than you'd like them to. And that is true. And um, there is a need for both for more living organ donors and um, I'm not sure what the right term is, I guess, you know, post death after you, (laughs) after you die to to donate that way. Um, There's a need for both of them. Um, And, you know, it's actually the doctors that I interviewed confirmed that um, it's actually not always as easy as just checking the box when you get your driver's license. Like in some states, it does work that way. But in any case, it's a good idea to talk to your family if that's something that you want to do. Because in a lot of states, it'll require consent from your family members, even if you've checked the box on your driver's license.
0: Well, I mean, which makes sense because, you know, I checked that box (laughs) Like, over 20 years ago, right? I might have changed my mind, but maybe didn't change my license in that time. So, I mean, that that does make sense that they would want some sort of double verification uh, to some degree. And you mentioned in this this article, we're not going to relive the whole article, but that there is potentially a discrepancy between the effectiveness of a donor, whether it's a cadaver donor or a living donor. And I hadn't even considered that as an option in terms of, like, the reason to or not to. I, I always just assumed, that like, hey, we're doing this because I'm just assuming it on face value that it was relatively equal. That's why we're doing it in the first place. I hadn't even get given that a second thought.
2: No, and that's because when you when you have someone, uh, like, if it's your family member that you're donating to, you're likely going to be having your surgery, you know, like, at the exact same time, so they can make that, trans, that transplant, like, immediately. But if you're, if someone is in need of a transplant and they're getting it from someone who died. Like, you know, there's a lot, there can be a longer delay there and that can affect the, the long-term function of the organ that you're getting.
0: Right. And the reason it's in runner's world and the reason that it pertains to, you know, our audience here and the people who often read you in the variety of different publications that you write for is that as runners, we say, okay, and I'm sure this goes to everybody who does this, but from a running perspective, it's like, how is this going to affect my health short term and long term? And also the other part of that is why are runners someone who should consider this versus maybe other members of the general population?
2: Well, the main reason is that runners are active people in general. They're more likely to be in general good health, you know, just because they're so active and they're likely to eat well and not have, a, have other, you know, major health conditions that could disqualify them from being a candidate you know and uh, as far as how it would affect their running you know pretty much with any surgery you're likely going to have to take some time off after to recover and so it makes you know it makes sense that you would have to after a surgery like this Uh, but as you'll read in the story for both Cebu and Mary they only had to take about a month or so off to recover and Mary is still you know she's less than a year out from her surgery and she's already back to what she would to, you know, the weekly mileage she was at before. And she said that she, you know, it's not something she thinks about every day and she, you know, she feels great.
0: Right. And there you go. And it really is interesting. Obviously there are certain things that people need to take into consideration once they have an organ removed like that. And you do a great job of detailing that in the article. And if someone's worried about the time off, go listen to last Friday's episode with David Roche. <laughs> this is the exact topic that we discussed uh, for an article he did for trail runner mag. Um, this is so interesting, and this is so funny because you feel like when I open up um, any of these, you know, publications—whether Runner's World, Trail Runner Mag, Women's Running, Podium Runner—and there's so many others—I feel like I generally, I'm never surprised by what I, think, what I see in those spaces. I mean, I might—it um, doesn't mean that I'm not excited to read them, but I'm never like, "Wow!" Like, I would have never considered this as a potential option when I opened this website. This was not the case with this one. It absolutely blew my mind that it was out there. It was such an interesting read. I mean, I really appreciate you not only you know writing it, but also coming on the show today to talk about it, uh, because it really is such an interesting thing, and it's something that I guarantee unless someone has gone through it personally, it's probably so far afield of what they're thinking about in their day-to-day life.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to highlight this important issue. I know the runners that I interviewed will be especially appreciative of as well.
0: My pleasure. All right. And again, if you can't say, you can't say, but what are you
2: working on now? Um, right now, um, I'm close to wrapping up a big feature that I'm working on for runner's world about heart rate training and, uh, and heart rate tracking and how, you know, we have so many options available now to track this, this data. And some of them might not be as effective or as accurate as we'd like. So I've interviewed all kinds of people for that, uh, some, some professional runners, some recreational runners, uh, medical experts, uh, etc. and it's most likely going to appear in a print issue of Runner's World this summer.
0: I can't wait for that. I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> as, as someone who's purchased a wide variety of, of obviously also like I have I have a Coral Sports watch. They they sponsor my other podcast. And I've been a big fan of like that watch in particular, but even if you just read the fine print again, we're not going to talk about that full article now. I just want to like throw this out there as someone who's like I love this topic. Um even if you read that the fine print, but like you go on the chorus website, be like, Hey, go to the heart rate part of their website. You'll see like, oh, this is what you need to do. This is the variability mid run. You should clean it off. Like there are so many steps. And even then it's like, and it might not be that great. Um, it's such an interesting topic because so many people view it as like the bedrock of their training. And yet they might be surprised. I think that how effective it could be. Also use things like Strava where they can base like, They have some interesting data sets for like, hey, this is how fit you are. But a lot of it's based off of heart rate monitor. And a lot of people can like it's easy to default and like, oh, what's my training number? How have I progressed in the last two months? And, you know, if it's if it's if it's not coming from a place of accurate data, it it won't necessarily provide you with the certainty that you might be looking for.
2: Mm -hmm. That's the general message that a lot of the people I interviewed said that if you're going to use it, take it with a grain of salt.
0: Right. Oh, I can't read it here. I can't wait to hear the specifics. That's for sure. All right. Well, Miele, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to have you back um, again because it was so much fun and you always do such good work.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Peter and Amelia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Also, big ups to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this and so many episodes. Go over to InsideTracker.com forward slash rambling runner. Save 25% on all the tests. It means such Good stuff over there. Um, you know, if you want to be at your best, or even you know, be running at all, sometimes you really need to know what's going on in the inside of your body because there are so many things that we are just naive about when it comes to what is actually happening. Understandably so, but getting the tests, getting that little you know the the, the selfie on the inside, as I used to say on uh, some of their previous marketing campaigns, it really does help. So head over there today, InsideTracker.com forward slash Rambling Runner to save 25% off today if you have haven't done so already go check out my episode yesterday i should say i put it out yesterday you might not be listening to this the, the day i put out this episode but on thursday i did put out an episode with abe alvarado over on road to the trials podcast and it was really good abe is abe is a hoot he is such an awesome guy and he's had a couple great weeks in a row and it was really fun to talk to him about it so head over to road to the trials today and go check that out thank you so much for listening and happy running Surprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of these days Disrepresentation
2: of storm brewing, I'm amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change, I'm trying to show this industry